Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. here with Keith Myers. Keith, talk to me. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm, uh, it's a day that's not going to be a billion degrees like it has been the last week, and I'm sitting here talking Seahawk football and drinking some good coffee. It's a great start to my day today. How are you? What's your go-to, what's your go-to coffee? Um, my go-to coffee is a... Um, I have a Keurig, so it brews one cup at a time. So it's all those little cups. And the one that I've decided that I like that I tend to buy more often than not is, um, it's called caribou, which it's from Canada. Um, of course, right with that name and that's good. Solid. Yeah. What I've been told is that caribou is like Starbucks, but Canadian. And I don't know if that's that's true or not, but, um, I do like their K cup coffee. It's tasty. and caffeinated and without it i have a hard time waking up so i need something gotta have yeah the caffeine. I've, I've been a uh a keurig guy off and on in the past my wife has had one you know and she keeps it in her office and um so i i get a cup occasionally and then uh I've, so i've tried that before that's really good <laughs> uh currently right now they they sell this organic coffee at costco called jose's coffee <laughs> and it's just a general um you know, I, I think it's Colombian, uh, but it's just a medium roast and I'm just a black coffee guy. So it's, it's pretty solid for me. Yeah. I'm a, um, I'm a and black I, coffee I, guy. I usually too. brew it like I, I brew it full strength and the Jose's is, is not terribly like heavy, bitter. Uh, it's just a medium. So that strong, but medium is my, is my right in my pocket. How am I doing? Uh, dude, <laughs> the weather, speaking of the weather, it's been the hottest uh, summer in um, Phoenix history, and I'm I'm a part of it. <laughs> we've had uh, we've had uh, now uh, so a few days ago it was eight days over 115. Uh, yesterday we broke that, so it's nine days over 115. I don't think it's supposed to get that hot today. I think it's like 112 or something like that. So, but it's as if I that matters. 14, <laughs> yeah, I know. I looked at the 14 day forecast. 14 days straight forecasted above 110. Oh my God. Like 110, 111, 112. It doesn't get above like 112, but it's like all right there. Crazy. The thing is we are late enough in the year that I'm surprised that the the monsoons haven't come and helped you out. I know, you know, last night we had hope it uh, got real dark. Uh, the clouds came in, uh, the, all the thunder heads had built up um, over the mountains locally uh, all day and then it unleashed but it didn't hit us so we saw lightning we experienced the flash of lightning we heard the rumble and the roar of the uh, thunder uh, but the actual storm and rain any rain to speak of at all uh, missed us you know by a, by a long shot so we, we remained dry and warm last night it was crazy so I have my fingers crossed for today but who knows yep it's got a 15 percent chance of of rain in the afternoon. So 
Um, football, dude. Football. Let's, 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 talk, let's talk about let's Seahawks. Talk some football. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're here. So, you know, the Seahawks are coming into officially kind of week three of training camp. We were trying to figure out exactly how many practices they've had before the show. Uh, but they spent the first week uh, just getting players in, testing for COVID um, with no real, I mean, they had class, they didn't even have classroom stuff for the first uh, three days. And then after that, it was just classroom stuff on the field, walkthroughs, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Since then, they've moved on to uh, walkthroughs uh, and running drills and so forth with just helmets on, no pads. And then yesterday, was the very first Seahawk practice of 2020 with full pads and um, a little bit of contact and uh, a whole lot of a uh, whole lot of practice, a whole lot of play. It was kind of fun. Did you watch it on uh, Seahawks.com? I actually didn't. I I really wanted to get on and 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 watch that practice and then just got busy with other stuff and and missed it. So um, a lot of what I've got is I've got you know people who I you know, have, have noticed their opinions kind of match mine when we watch practice that I'm just kind of relying on their opinions because I didn't get a chance to watch it yesterday. I'm really hoping to get on and, um, you know, get a chance to see the rest of the practices from here on out. So that would be, no, we're all, we're all kind of in the same boat. I mean, if you've got a media uh, credentialed pass and you can get into the VMAC, uh, good on you. Let us know what's going on because, uh, (laughs) We are, we are not there. Yeah. Um, I miss those days. Those were fun, fun practices to go in and. and... Before practice on Monday, Pete Carroll had a news conference. Mm -hmm. Uh, He talked about kind of where everything was at up until that point. Um, He mentioned a lot of players. I thought we'd go through those just a a little bit and um, kind of gauge some reaction uh, together as to how we feel about it. LJ Collier. um, He came out prominently mentioning uh, LJ Collier. Um, he, he said that he was out of shape coming in as a rookie. Hadn't heard that yet before it was kind of assumed a little bit. Um, but then he got injured and we just never really, uh, got back to that. Um, he said he looks totally different though. Uh, quicker. These are, uh, Pete Carroll's words, quicker, explosive, great shape, ready to battle off to a terrific start. I guess that's great news. I mean, we all expected that we'd see a little bump in, in LJ Collier. I think he gave an interview earlier, uh, this, uh, summer, uh, that stated he was, um, he was kind of ticked off not only at himself, but just in general that he didn't do more, um, last year. And he was really looking forward to, to showing out this year. And it sounds like he's, uh, at least off to a good start. Yeah. Um, the other one that was really interesting to hear him talk about was, uh, Brian Monet. Uh, who who is slimmed down as well? It was he was they Carol said he was three fifty last year. I've heard three sixty. Um, in fact, I think he was listed as three sixty. Uh, down to three forty, looking um, you know, just a little quicker. And uh, Pete Carroll was really excited about some of the stuff that he's been doing. Uh, and basically, they're ready to get him rotation, like in the rotation, and just have him be the the third d- defensive tackler right now, which is a little surprising that they haven't gone out and got a veteran. Yeah, uh, that's great news um, because we're really light on, uh, excuse the pun, on defensive tackles. Um, <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy that. Um, you know, we really haven't brought any other bodies in, uh, mm-hmm. even to compete, especially um, when they knew 
Puna Ford and uh, Jerron Reed were going to be out a few days of practice uh, with a with a couple of uh, lower leg uh, things going on. Nothing serious. They're they're going to be great, but um, you know the camp is really light on defensive tackles right now. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I've heard that um, you know that Ford and Reed look look great, but they missed the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, they mentioned uh, you mentioned Brian Monet, which is awesome. Uh, there's a, a kid by the name of Lattimore uh, that's getting some reps in there, and then uh, Christmas as well. Um, but they don't really know too much about Demarcus Christmas even because he missed the entire last year yep. and just sort of getting into it right now. So actually what I, the stuff that I've, um, you know, seen and heard is that Christmas is got a really good first step and that it's kind of showing off in pass rush journals that he's, um, he's really quick and the guards are struggling with him. And that's a good sign too. Uh, I will see what happens when, you know, they go full, full contact and everything, but at least in, in pass rush drills, he's, he's looking good. So I, that's always a good development too, right? Cause we didn't really have much expectation for him whatsoever. And for him to come in and look like a guy that they can, you know, put in the rotations pretty good, but they still need someone else. I mean, who, if, if you have uh Reed or Ford out for at any period of time during the season, whether it be a game or three or whatever, <clears throat> who's your starters, right? You've got two guys that you know are uh, starter caliber players, and that's it. And you, there is no Al Woods uh, waiting to come on and, and play. There is, no, there is no veteran backup. And this is a team that's always had, under Pete Carroll, always had that third defensive tackle that they could count on, and they just don't have it this year. Yeah, Keith, I I have to be completely honest. I'm a little worried. Um, I'm not. I'm worried about the, our trenches in general, uh, both offense and defensive line. Later in the show today, we're going to talk about the offensive line a little bit, go a little bit more into depth uh, with those guys. But the defensive line, I'm as camp has gone on, I'm less worried about the pass rush, and more worried about the guys inside um, and, and stopping the run. Actually, uh, where are we going to stop the run from? Uh, that, that would, to me is a big question mark still. And here we are, you know, not quite halfway through camp, but it's, um, there's no real idea to me how the team is addressing that. Um, do you have any idea? I mean, just based on personnel. All right. So that's an interesting question as far as like stopping the run, because what you've got here is you've got, um, you know, we, we know Puna Ford can stop the run, right? I mean, he he does his job as as a as a um, a nose tackle. He's pretty good with you know eating those blocks, trying to keep Bobby Wagner clean, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think Brian Monet is going to be fine in the, that role too. He did pretty well when he was uh, got snaps last year, um, and of course John Reed is you know John Reed. I mean, he can he can handle it. My concern is what do we do after you know any kind of rotation because I know Demarcus Christmas is not a guy with an anchor. He's going to get pushed around quite a bit. Um uh, they're talking about moving um Collier and um Reed inside a lot and they're going to get pushed around because they're yeah. pass rushers. They're defensive ends that are moving in because they provide additional pass rush on the inside. They're not big enough they're not they don't have the anchor to hold up against guards and centers and 
um, stop the run there. So if they're expecting all these pass rushers to be run stuffers, they're going to be in, in trouble. And I yeah. think what they're, what they've gotten into is they've gotten into a situation where Jerron Reed right now is the only player um, in the position group in the rotation that is capable of doing both. Um, yeah. You've either got people yeah. who are just run stuffers like Ford and Monet, which I think they're going to be great at, at that. And, and that's not going to be an issue, but that's all they are. They're not, they don't offer you pass rush. And then you're expecting to sub them out and sub the pass rushers in there in those situations. And I think it's a lot of subbing in and out and in and out, trying to guess what the other team's going to do um, because you don't have guys that are balanced and can, can do both. And I don't know if that is by design with the way the roster's put together or if it's just the way it happens to be put together right now. But I, it does leave me concerned that, you know, they're going to be having all these pass rushers in there trying to stop the run. Yeah. I mean, it really wasn't that great last year and that we had Clowney, you know, and then we mm-hmm. had Woods. Um, and uh, I don't, I just don't know. I mean, Collier seems to be a guy that can, can play the five tech and stop the run pretty good, maybe even better than green um, when it's all said and done, but we just don't know at this point. Yeah. And then in the inside, like you said, after Puna Ford, there's nothing, you know, you need to have another rotational piece. Now, maybe Brian Monet is the guy. Um, and I just can't see that, that even if he's showing up early, I can't see the coaching staff be completely comfortable with, with counting on him to be the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The lack so of I a preseason, th- the lack of a preseason for, for them to go out and just see it on the field against an opposing team and to have him show up and, and really, just show it there and be like, yes, I can do this. Because it's one thing to show it in practice um, where it's not completely full speed and, and all of that, but it's another thing to go out and do it in a game. And he's a completely unknown at this point. I mean, I, I love that Pete Carroll's mentioning him as showing up really well in practice, but do they want to risk going into week one with Monet as the guy um, being the third defensive tackle? I. That sounds kind of scary to me. So speaking of scary, let's stay on the defensive line really quick. Uh, Daryl Taylor um, shows up to camp. You're all excited about him. You really haven't heard too much in the offseason. I mean, we knew that he was kind of recouping from the surgery that he had and the rod he Mm -hmm. had placed in his leg in February. But we thought maybe he was going to be recovered um, and be ready for camp. Turns out not so much. Um, he's on the pup list and it will be at least two more weeks, according to Pete Carroll, um, before he can, uh, get eased back into, into the deal. Coach said he wants Taylor to be a full go for at least two weeks before he can play. So, uh, they've got about four weeks left remaining before the, the first game kickoff. So he's got a couple of weeks where he can stay on the sidelines, but then he needs to be back in there in order for him to have any effect whatsoever uh on that pass rush and it seemed like they were counting on him now we can talk about benson mayoa a little bit as well he's kind of uh been a been a standout in camp so far um but there's really not a lot there um if daryl taylor can't go well i think the team um the team definitely hedged its bets in the offseason as far as that because i think they knew um 
when they drafted him, that that, that health was going to be a thing in the beginning part of his rookie year. And so, but you, because you've got Mayoa, you've also got Bruce Irvin, who's been getting reps there. Um, Keem Griffin has is has kept been kept in the um, rotation and in the mix for some pass rushing snaps on that side. Uh, and uh, Robinson, the fifth round rookie, who has looked yeah. really good, very explosive, just very very quick um, so far in camp. So I think you, between that group of guys, they can weather the storm of not having you know, their, their second round pick, uh, the guy they were expecting to, to hold that position down. Um, they can, they can weather that storm of not having him for a few weeks if they need to, because they've got a bunch of guys that you just need one of them to step up and show that they can be a starter, right. That they can handle the load. And sounds like they've got, you know, the team is pretty happy with what they're seeing. Yeah. I mean, you're right. We've got a bunch of guys. I mean, there's just no question about that. Um, and it, it's it's kind of cool to hear Pete Carroll um, mention Benson Mayoa, um, that he looks the part. He's exciting. He's fast. He's quick. He's kind of showing up. And in 2019, Keith, um, just as a reminder for folks, 15 games. And in those 15 games, he had 30% of the snaps. He had seven sacks, 10 QB hits, five tackles for losses, and three forced fumbles. You know, and then you add Irvin to that, which he's coming off kind of a couple of career years as well um, as kind of a pass rush specialist. And Alton Robinson, if that guy shows up, and then you add in Collier having a better year at green. I'm, that's why I said earlier, I'm not so worried about the pass rush this year, the pressure rate. I think we're going to end up getting that. Um, but it, But I turned my attention now to kind of needing a defensive tackle because – you know, one of Pete Carroll's uh, pillars on defense is stopping the run. And if we can't do that and teams decide that they can just run on us, we're going to have a hard time getting off the field, which is uh, is not good. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, considering, too, is that um, the Seahawks are really built on their second and third level this year. And if you're not going to protect your linebackers and your safeties um, to allow them freedom to um, – to not have to work through guards and tackles, um, that could be an issue. You know, you could you, not maybe at the at the beginning of the year, but as as the year goes on, you're wearing down guys like Bobby Wagner and rookie Jordan Brooks, who needs to get acclimated to the uh, to the rigors of the NFL. It could be a long season, you know, and so I really mm-hmm. do believe they're probably not done yet acquiring a defensive tackle at least for this defense. But there's not a lot out there right now. No, I think they're they're sitting back at this point, waiting for a a veteran salary cap casualty, someone who, you know, basically a, a, another team that has a guy that you know has been a starter for a few years, but now they've got a young player that's taking over, and they're like, hey, we can save eight million against the cap by cutting them, um, and we had to see those guys get cut in true. Uh, at the end of, of training camp and stuff, but it does feel like they're just sitting back waiting and waiting and waiting. And at some point, how do you keep waiting? I mean, you need the player, but you have to go get him. but they're not, he's not out there, not available. The entire off season strategy, Keith, uh, wrapped around the, um, the pass rush and the, and the defensive tackle group 
is is a bit confounding to me, considering that it was probably the number one priority heading into the offseason. And yet here we are mid-August and it's still the number one priority. I don't get it. I mean, uh, John Schneider and Pete Carroll, they're a tremendous tandem. They do. Uh, they're, they're one of the best in the league. Uh, and I, I admire John Schneider, the way that he pulls off deals and, and acquires talent and the whole thing. But this is left. This is two years in a row. You know, it's uh, it's it's perplexing. All right. Um, Quentin Dunbar. Uh, Quentin Dunbar uh, saw him in a uniform uh, for the first time over the weekend. Um, they're easing him back into it. It's his first week uh, with the team. Um, you saw Pete Carroll out there kind of giving him the little uh, kickstep uh, schooling the other day, mm-hmm. um, which is which is interesting. And then uh, but but that does allow Trey Flowers to get first team reps still with with the defense. And so I, I think overall it's an interesting strategy by the team holding Quentin Dunbar back a little bit. So Trey Flowers gets the first team reps so that they kind of have that in their mind as they're now evaluating Quentin Dunbar as well and how the defense kind of pieces together. And I wrote this little thing on Twitter the other day. I was like, look at, at, at Trey Flowers. This kid... You know, he's he's heading into his third year. He's not going to just give up his starting role in this defense and, and sit by while another player comes in and take his takes his spot. I completely believe that this is going to be one of the most competitive roster spots uh, battles um, in, in all of training camp this year. What do you think? Well, <clears throat> I think ultimately the job will end up in Quentin Dunbar's hands. But you're right. I mean, Flowers has actually looked good and been kind of impressive there in, in camp so far. I mean, it's, um, it's not a lot of time, but he is, you know, one of the guys that's, uh, done well and given, you know, last year was kind of a struggle, but he looked really good as a rookie. So I think you have a situation where maybe he is finally starting to get comfortable and start finally acclimating, uh, to the NFL and to his, in a new position too. Um, and maybe he's ready to do it. And what that means then is that you're going to have three guys that you trust to start. If, if, um, if flowers really has taken that next step and that would be incredible. I mean, one guy goes down with an injury and, Oh, look, we plugged in another starter and nobody noticed. Um, that would be kind of cool. I, but I do think the job will be Quentin Dunbar's to, um, to have and, and to hold down because last year he was one of the, best corners in the league at coverage. I mean, he just was. And I think that uh, <clears throat> Flowers may taking another step might get him, you know, into the conversation, but I don't think he's going to step over one of the best corners in the league. So um, it does, the, the position in my mind still belongs to Dunbar until I see otherwise. Interesting. And then you throw Marquise Blair into that kind of equation, um, sharing reps right now at nickel with Amadi. Carol's off-season plan. So back in, um, I think it was February or March, Carol gave a news conference, I think wrapped around the uh, combine or maybe it was Mm -hmm. a pre-draft kind of a presser. And he was talking about um, they're working on a plan uh, in the secondary this year and they don't really want to talk about it yet. They kind of, they're still working on it. They want to see how it goes. This is Carol's plan is, is it's all about Marquise Blair and about getting the best players on the field. And so now you add 
Blair to the equation of flowers, you've still got Amadi there as well. And then you add Dunbar and you've got Adams here and then Griffin and then Diggs. My goodness, Keith, we are so loaded at in the secondary. I We talked about it all last week, but I still marvel at it every time I mention all those names in the same sentence. It's crazy. Um, how do you think that Marquise Blair, I mean, to me, that Marquise Blair gives you so much roster flexibility when you combine it with everyone else, because mm-hmm. if he's in the nickel, but yet he's got the ability to, to blitz, he's got the ability to come up and play, uh, you know, uh, kind of a strong safety role up there, if you will. And then he also has the ability, given his speed to be able to drop back into coverage. And, um, I just, this defense has so much upside potential it's it's crazy to me well and then you also throw in adams who's also that way he's also a guy that can play literally every position but defensive tackle um on a defense and you know now you've got you know blair that can come in and and you can take both of those guys and you can move them all over and you can really do some things to confuse um opposing teams and i i think that having that would be just really fun if I was coordinating in defense and and just coming up with cool ways to do stuff. Um, one of the things that I did note was that Blair has been the primary nickel, uh, like defensive back. They've been going going with the big nickel and the extra safety more than they've been going with the small nickel and bringing in a corner, which was Amadi as the the starter in yes. that role. Both both of those things are expected, you know, having it be those two guys, but. Um, just to to see it happen and that, to have them go big nickel more often um, is one of those things that we, we've kind of been waiting for, kind of been expecting the last couple of years, and it just hasn't happened. And we they talk about it, and we look at it schematically, and we go, God, that makes sense. They should do that, and then it doesn't happen. And I think it was really just the team not feeling overly comf- uh, confident about the talent um, that they had and, and trying to get the people out there. And now that they seem to be actually doing it um, because they are getting Blair in there as the nickel. They go with the, with the big nickel package. And when you're playing a lot of zone, which this team does, you don't lose a lot um, of coverage by going with the big nickel. But you can gain a lot of, you know, versatility and, and run support and that kind of stuff. So it's it's interesting. We'll see how this progresses through camp and into the season. But Right now, it's a fun little wrinkle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as far as uh, Jamal Adams is concerned, I just saw an interview that he had did um, a few days ago. I mean, he's definitely the new alpha of the defense, too, by the way. Uh, unbelievable. Had a nice pick six yesterday out of the red zone. Took it all the way back to the house. Not not that it counts, you know, but uh, nonetheless, he, he made a nice play on the ball. Uh, he talked about Pete uh, letting him roam this year. Um, use that specific word, Rome, um, so that he can be a, a, a more of a ball hawk. He only had a couple interceptions in his entire career, um, but he's got a, a heck of a lot of sacks and, and plays behind the backfield, tackles for loss, force fumbles, all that kind of stuff. But Pete wants him to be the, a ball hawk this year and generate turnovers um, inter- with interceptions, essentially, causing interceptions, um, intercepting the ball himself, et cetera. I found that to be a very interesting quote because uh, we didn't know, uh, you know, based on the way that the Jets used him and Greg Williams, uh, where he was kind of playing five or six different positions all year, um, mm-hmm. everything almost but strong safety, right? 
and we heard going into camp that Pete was going to settle him down into the strong safety role. And we thought, well, what is that going to do to all his athleticism and et cetera? It sounds like it's, it's going to be kind of in name only, and they're still going to allow him to kind of dictate where he lines up on the field to put himself in the best, best position to make plays, which is exciting to me. Now that might cause a, a couple of uh, mistakes, um, but in the long run, you're hoping that that athleticism uh, generates more plays than it gives up for sure. Well, the Seahawks did a very similar thing with Cam Chancellor. He was, um, you know, he roamed all over. I mean, there were times he was up on the line of scrimmage and other times where he was back deep and, and they moved him around and really he moved himself around. And one of the things that you go back and, and when you watch pre-snap, uh, when it was Cam, was how much he communicated with the linebackers pre-snap so that everyone knew where he was and what was going on so that there wasn't uh, lapses because, oh, is, you know, the play the play diagram has a strong safety lined up, you know, on the strong side over the tight end, and there's Chancellor over on the weak side, and you're like, well, that's going to leave a hole, right? Um, but then he talks to the um, to the linebackers and everyone kind of shifts a little bit, um, shifts one gap over and, and they didn't have, don't have those lanes that are, uh, unassigned. And hopefully with Adams, they can, they can get to that situation where you've got a guy that communicates really well. You've got, uh, linebackers who are smart and they move and they shift and they, they adapt to the situations. Um, I always thought it was weird that you've got, you know, you're all, You'd see the you'd see all three linebackers look to the strong safety and him giving signals and doing calls and I'm like, you got Bobby Wagner who does all the the, the defensive calls and everything for the fr- for the whole thing there and he's an all pro and yet he and the other two guys are, are looking to the strong safety for for these signals and it was it was always weird but it, what it did was it allowed Cam to move around um, and set himself up to make plays and and to to uh, find ways to exploit what the offense was doing and, and really take it to him. And you, with Adams, you've got a guy who's not as big as Cam, but is faster, more athletic. Um, and and I you could argue they, that it has the it has more ability to move around the field and make plays. Now Cam was great, but Cam he's was a pretty amazing. big guy, and he wasn't mm-hmm. as quick as Adams for sure. Yep. And so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I'm excited. I mean, that's we'll see. That the whole defense we'll, is going to be pretty interesting to watch. Yeah, we'll see if Adams is capable of, of manhandling an offensive tackle the way Cam did. Um, because <laughs> you you got to admit, that is a very unique uh, trait for uh, safety. <laughs> I don't think that, Cam, so. that uh, Adams will be the one to be manhandling a, a tackle, but he could jump over him. And, and that'll be fun to watch. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So it's the a, last, last player I wanted to talk about that isn't an offensive lineman that we're going to get to in just a sec is Cody Thompson. So I, re- I mean, I knew that he was on the practice squad last year. Uh, this is a wide receiver. Um, it's a guy that we've never talked about on the show before. And um, a guy that seems to be um, hanging around a little bit. and. Um, I just don't know like what Cody Thompson is all about and he's getting to be the talk of camp as far as a guy that's going up and making plays, uh, high pointing the ball, kind of make, uh, making himself stand out, which is all you can ask for, for a guy that's fighting for a five, the fifth or sixth spot on the roster. 
Um, so it'll be interesting name to watch as, as camp progresses, Cody Thompson, like you said earlier about, uh, not having any games to be able to evaluate. This is where a situation like this hurts. Cody Thompson is that he's a, he's a great, uh, camp guy, uh, practice, uh, guy, but is he a gamer? You can't find out until you actually play a game. True. But it's also a situation where he also isn't showing for other teams what he can do during the preseason. So if he ends up not making the roster, he goes onto the practice squad, which means now he's waiting for an injury, for an opportunity to to actually get into games and and, and show. Um, but it does mean that he stays in town and the depth stays here. And I do think that, that getting guys through waivers to the practice squad is going to be way easier this year because teams haven't had a chance to yeah. evaluate. Every uh, team's in the same boat. Right, yeah. I mean, you haven't had a chance to evaluate the depth of other teams because there has there's no preseason tape to watch. So, I think that a situation like that, you could get a guy through who yeah, maybe that's going to be very good. Through. That's going to be a very big situation with Anthony Gordon. I think I've already heard um, G. Scott come out and say that he believes that Anthony Gordon, based on what he's seen, should have a legit opportunity to be the number two backup uh, for the Seahawks. Um, and he's not going to get that opportunity. I don't no. think it would be crazy for Pete Carroll, uh, coached team to, uh, take an undrafted rookie free agent quarterback and put him in th- as the number two guy over Geno Smith. Not this year. It's just not going to happen. So, Mm-mm. well, you know, they did that with BJ Daniels, right? So they had a, an undrafted rookie as Russell Wilson's backup. And then he was actually there for a second year, too. Um, so it's not completely unheard of. But I I think you're looking at a situation where it's going to be Geno's job. And Gordon's going to uh, end up on the practice squad, probably protected there. Um, and we'll see what he does. It's one thing to look really good in practice when you have, basically, if you're touched, someone else is getting in trouble. Um, because you're, you know, that no one will hit you. No one will touch you. Um, what are the protection rules this year for the practice squad? So I know that the initial cut down, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the week before the, the first game, you, all the players that are cut have to make it through a 24 hour window before they end up being able to be signed onto a, the practice squad. Is that yep. the, the only vulnerable time that the CX have to worry about with yes. um, Anthony Gordon? Yep. That's the point is, is so there is in order to get them onto the practice squad, you have to wave them off the, off, off the roster. When you wave them, they go, they go onto waivers for 24 hours and another team can claim them. But if you claim them, you have to put them on your 53. You can't put them on your practice squad. Um, and so, yeah, that 24 hours is the window, but are, is another team going to claim him and put, put him on their 53 as their backup quarterback when they've never seen him play in the NFL? There's no preseason tape for him or anything. The last thing that uh, all these teams had is his college tape, which they thought well enough of him for him to go undrafted, right? Um, even though... The skills were present. There were also some gaping holes in his game that uh, mainly his footwork and, and in-pocket stuff. But, um, you know, the, as a whole, the league thought highly enough of him to not draft him. And without a preseason game, without a chance for him to show development, 
no one's going to pluck him off waivers and stick him as their backup. That doesn't make any sense. The only concern is there are still a few teams out there that carry three quarterbacks. And if he's the best option at a third quarterback role for one of those teams, a team could pick him off and put him on the roster. Now, I'm not going to say it's going to happen. I'm just saying that that would be the only concern. Otherwise, yeah. they they get him to the practice squad and they can, I think after that, mm-hmm. they can protect him. I think um, the, the rules state that you can protect a, a, a player for up to two or three games in a row, but then you have, you can't protect him for the, the next week. Um, and then, yeah, you can't, you can't just leave him as protected on the practice right. squad all year. Um, right. So they're going to have to kind of move him around a little bit, maybe activate him one game, deactivate him, et cetera. I don't know mm-hmm. how that's going to work, but if, if that came to that, now maybe they just don't care and he's not the prospect that everyone thinks he might be. And they mm-hmm. just ended up moving on from him. Who knows, right? Um, they've done that in the past as well. So you just, yeah. without without seeing him in games, it's going to be very difficult to know exactly where he's at in the system. The only two teams that I would be concerned about possibly trying to poach him would be Arizona, because they are running a version of the offense that uh, Gordon ran in college, right? Um, which is, you know, the Mike Leach air raid. And then the other one would be Jacksonville because the player who Gordon replaced as the starting quarterback at Washington state is the starting quarterback in Jacksonville. So as um, right. Minshew left, graduated left went to Jacksonville, Gordon got the starting job. And so it became a situation where, you know, obviously they have um, some sim- similar skill sets and, and, and similar experience and that kind of stuff. So I could see those two teams possibly taking a look at him, but I honestly don't think any other team is going to um, take the risk of going and getting that guy um, in a situation where there's no preseason games to evaluate him. It'll be interesting to see if they really fall in love with him. Like if he mm-hmm. just end up being one of those guys, um, at what lengths that they will go to to protect him. Like, will they put him on the injured list? Will they, you know, whatever it takes, I would imagine that they will keep him on the roster, even if they had to forego some sort of Nick Ballour situation. Um, okay. Let's talk offensive line. This is, this is the part of the show where you come alive, your eyes sparkle and you, your smile is broad. And, uh, we start talking big, big beefy guys. And well, we start talking offensive linemen and guys who block and people who most fans don't know their name and everyone else's eyes glaze over. And I'm like, yay, offensive line. Can we talk about zone blocking Uh, (laughs) and, you know, scheme? Um, And I don't know how this became my thing, but it totally is my thing. So um, the offensive line, it scares you. It scares you really badly, doesn't it? Yeah, kind of. (laughs) (laughs) um the the seahawks allowed 48 sacks last year led the entire league they they were kind of poor at run blocking although chris carson overcame that um Mm -hmm. just because he's so damn good at breaking tackles and um gaining yards after first contact um and then the the pass rushing the the pass blocking you know eh. It was okay. I mean, Dwayne Brown definitely had a, a positive grade, but then everyone else graded below sixty. Um, even Dwayne Brown had an off focus. year because of his his bicep. Uh, yeah, 
injury. I mean, he, that was not that was not typical a typical Dwayne Brown year um, because he yeah. battled injuries all year. So, but it was it. Let's face it that the line last year wasn't good. They weren't good at pass blocking. They weren't good at run blocking. They were <clears throat> they had a couple of people who were really good at penalties that would kill drives. Um, they had someone as a starter for half the season who was really good at being pushed straight back onto his butt and um, in Russell Wilson's face. And that was his primary attribute, I guess. Um, and Joey it, <coughs> yeah, um, the, the line was bad, right? So we talk about, Oh, we lost this guy. We lost that guy. We cut this. Does it matter? You, you lost someone who was bad. Well, let's talk, let's talk about that. I mean, let's talk about what we lost and what we gained. And then, you know, Pete Carroll's primary concern, you know, heading into the off season was, was continuity. Well, we have anything but that. Um, I don't think, I don't know if that was actually true. He talks about continuity and the first thing, like before he's even done giving the interview, they're already cutting people. Well, let me ask you this. What is your philosophy on continuity on offensive lines in general? I think that you continuity matters when you've got um, when you've got players in place that are worth playing, and I don't think that was the case last year, right? Um, it doesn't matter if if you keep running a Fetty out there week in week out for continuity; he's going to be bad no matter what you do. So you're better off putting in a player with talent that can develop continuity over time right and so that's my that was my thing as i you have to have the right guys before you start worrying about it if you're just like oh we need continuity we need that communication we need all of those things okay that's fine but start with players that are worth developing that with and i don't think the cx had that a year ago i mean you're are you really good are you really worried about continuity and keeping guys in place when you've got Joey Hunt and a Fetty out there. I mean, these are guys that just straight up aren't good. You can give them all the reps and all the, you know, ability to work with the guys around them and everything uh, all you want. And they're never going to actually be good at their job. So, okay. So so you're absolutely right. So the team kind of took care of that um, in their own way this year. Britt is no longer with the team. Fluker's moved on and Afedi is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, in their place, we uh, signed BJ Finney to a two-year contract. He's a center uh, from Pittsburgh in free agency. Um, and then we uh, signed um, uh, Brandon Shell at right tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, 6'5", 324. Uh, 2016 fifth round pick overall. He's 28 years old. Um, as far as grading is concerned, you know, he's on par with the Fetty minus a few of the penalties, although he was penalized uh, a fair enough uh, amount of times. Um, and then we drafted Damian Lewis and, and to be uh, Fluker's replacement at right guard. And then uh, remaining, we've got, obviously uh, we just talked about Dwayne Brown and then um, Mike Upati at left guard is uh, they retained him for another year. Well, and he's fighting for his job too, because uh, yeah. he's getting, he's getting pushed by um, Phil Hayes and um, Jordan Simmons, uh, both guys that are also getting reps at right guard and um, 
you know, they're going to, they're going to, they're pushing for time too. I mean, we got to remember that, that, uh, last year Hayes was thought of as, as, you know, the kind of the, the future at, um, at left guard and was going to be that guy and just had, had off season, you know, injury stuff that, that, that just kind of nagged him and he never really got an opportunity. Yeah. Hernia hernia surgery. Yeah. And so it was a, a situation where he, he never really got his chance to compete uh, because of that. And he did get to play in the playoffs and looked okay and, and all of that. But, you know, this is his first opportunity to come in and really show that he uh, belongs on the field and not on the sideline. And so far it sounds like he's taken advantage of it. Um, Yeah. And he will get an opportunity. Mike Upati has not played more than 14 games. I think in this, maybe he played 15 last year. He actually had a pretty decent year as far as injuries is concerned couple of nagging things but overall okay decent yeah. wise but you but know last then, year he, he missed he, time during the games well last year he had a he had a thousand snaps you know um eight penalties five sacks allowed pro football focus grade of 60.3 and he missed mm-hmm. the playoffs due to a neck injury so to me i think mike upati is the most overrated guy on the on the line now we brought him back just because i think we needed some sort of a veteran presence over there and he was the best option that the Seahawks felt like they could bring in without having to spend any money. Um, and then uh, we're, we are, you and I both are probably hoping Phil Haynes takes that spot. Um, but then what do you do with a potty? And then what do you, what, what happens to your depth? So that'll be an interesting thing. But to me, you look at that offensive line, Dwayne Brown, Upati, Finney, Lewis, Brandon Shell. I have to be completely honest, Keith. The only person that I'm really comfortable with on that offensive line, even including Dwayne Brown, because he's getting older and maybe susceptible to injury, is Damian Lewis. Damian Lewis is a is a guy, he's a rookie, but he looks the part and he, I think he's gonna fit right in seamlessly and and be good out of the gate. I it just seems like all indications are that that's the case. But you look at Brandon Shell, he's got his own issues. In 2019, he had 800 snaps, five penalties, seven sacks allowed, pro football focus grade of 63.6, ranked 54 out of uh, 80-some-odd offensive tackles in 2019. Um, And then there's really nothing behind Brandon Shell. You know, as far as depth, I think there's, uh, we've got... uh, Well, there's Cedric Abuhi. Yes, and he's getting reps at left tackle too, by the way. Uh, he's getting resting. Um, yeah, he's Brown. getting reps at both tackle spots. He looks very much like he's going to be the swing tackle. Um, well, let me before you get into backups. Let me ask you what your opinion is of our of the proposed starting five. I, um, you're. I think you're under uh, selling BJ Finney, who has looked very good at multiple spots on uh, on the interior of the offensive line over his career. Um, I mean, he didn't he only get... played 325 snaps in 2019 and only has 12 starts out of 47 games or something like that. True. But he still got on the field and played and played at guard, played at center, um, and has looked good when he was out there. So I'm, when he was signed, he was the starting center. I mean, the moment they signed yeah, him, we knew Justin Britt was gone. I mean, yeah, maybe. So check this out, though. His cap number for 2020 is uh, 
$3.5 million. Is that a starting center's salary or is that a key reserve salary? His starting salary in 2021 is $4.5 million. So these are numbers that aren't outrageous for a starting center at all. In fact, the lower third of the league, um, after looking it up, um, I have a question for you. At what point does Ethan Posick have the upper hand to be the starter at center this year over BJ Finney? He doesn't. He almost made it last year before getting injured. He has a chance. He did not get it was he almost made it um as the starting left guard as the starting but center. now he's the primary center they've they've said it out loud at camp he's the guy he's the backup he's he's the guy he's the guy replacing uh Joey Hunt because Joey Hunt was so ineffective um they've moved him into center they want him focusing on center and all of that uh but he's a guy that can play all three interior line positions uh, and that is a, well, that which, is a key point, which makes him valuable as a reserve. Um, you know, Finney is signed. He's, BJ Finney he's can here. play guard as well. True, but Finney is um, he's not going anywhere. His contract wise, and he let's face it, he's a better player at this point, um, and he's more experienced. He's more of a veteran. He's going to get the line. All of that is true. About that, and if you end up needing like. Finney's going to play. Uh, he's going to be the starter. And I am not like you're, I know you're bringing this up and trying to create debate. But B, well, BJ Finney only debate. has 32 inch arms. So what? Yeah. Who cares? It, it, not, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. fit the, he doesn't really fit the athletic <clears throat> profile. That, it does uh, not matter at center. Now, if you add matter to Joey Hunt. No, it didn't. <laughs> Joey Hunt had short arms too. Yeah, that wasn't the reason why Joey Hunt ended up on his ass every uh, third snap. <laughs> well, I'll give you that. Uh, <laughs> BJ Finney has way better lower body strength than yes, uh, Joey Hunt could hope for. He's got a better anchor. He's got better. Um, he's got better technique. He's. <clears throat> he's I think a Ethan Postic. I think Ethan Postic's in the conversation and will remain in the conversation for that starting role, not just a reserve role, that starting role up until the, the week of the beginning of the year. Um, I, I don't agree entirely because uh, Ethan Posick at no point in his career has managed to stay healthy. And BJ Finney hasn't really had an injury problem. So you're going to, they're going to go with the guy that's more durable in since they're expecting this someone to play 16 games and they're going to have the other guy be the backup. I really think that's where they're going to roll with. Um, and Posick's going to go there. I, I, I don't even think this is that much of a competition at this point. Finney's just, he's been getting the, the, the reps and with the ones. Um, and he's kind of like when they signed him, they signed him to be the starter and he's an upgrade over Justin Britt. I know you keep, we keep talking about, um, that he was bad. I don't know. Or, you know, that he, that he was, he is an upgrade. Justin Britt was not a great player. Justin was, Britt was a pretty decent run blocker, not a very good pass blocker. Um, it's just the opposite with Finney. Finney's known to be a pretty decent pass blocker and not a very good run blocker. I'm wondering if that will matter to the Seahawks. And that's why Ethan Posick might have an advantage. See, here's the one of the things that I would, I would, I would warn you with that is, um, he was coming from Pittsburgh, right? Pittsburgh does not run 
the same zone concepts that uh, Seattle does uh, in the run run game. And so what Finney does well is the and what makes him what made him a good pass blocker is his movement, his ability to move his feet, his ability to stay in front of people, and all that kind of stuff. Um, when you look at what he's going to be asked to do in the run game, where he's going to be asked to you know engage a defensive tackle and then release and get up on a linebacker and do all these things in motion and, and while moving. Um, these were thing. These are things that he's going to do well. So he's going to going going to do better at that than he did in uh, Pittsburgh, where they'd had a much more of a man uh, blocking scheme, where he was just asked to block the guy in front of him, and that's it, uh, and not block in space and and that kind of stuff. So his talent fits what Seattle wants to do in the run game better than it fit what Pittsburgh wanted to do in the run game. So I. Yes, he's a good pass blocker, and that's something that this team has needed, and they haven't had in the Justin Brent era, especially in the interior. Yeah, yeah, and and but you're going to find that he's a better run blocker than advertised because Seattle's scheme fits him so much better than Pittsburgh's did. Yeah, I mean, as long as he doesn't get blocked into a into a hole, um, I'm I'm good. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about left tackle for for a half second so Dwayne Brown is the starter um in fact the hope is based on the fact that we looked at everything else um that he's the starter for at least the next two years because my problem isn't with Brown at all my problem is that Brown will turn 35 this year and the Seahawks don't have a replacement level player on the roster and zero first round picks in the next two drafts um to me that's a concern and you'd mentioned uh, Cedric Abuahe uh, a few minutes ago as being, it looks like now, the primary swing tackle on this roster. Um, what's your comfort level here? Um, my comfort level with Brown is good. I am very uncomfortable with Abuahe and the likelihood that the team is going to need Abuahe to play because of Brown's age and, you know, he does get banged up and um, miss a game here or there. And so to go into any game without your starting left tackle is bad, but the drop-off from Brown to Bowie is, is extra. Or Jamarco Jones. Who was who actually is, doesn't appear to be in the mix at left tackle this year. Um, he's getting... Some reps on at on the right side. He's yeah, uh, and he's, and inside, and and in the interior, um, which I think is that those are things that are going to fit his skill set. Um, and you know, there was a point a couple of years ago where he was on the verge of uh, unseating a Fetty as a starting um, right tackle, and then he got hurt and missed the whole year, and then came back last year and looked really good at guard, like really good at guard. Um, they moved him out to left tackle for one game and it was a disaster, such a disaster that in the next game, uh, George Fant got the start at, uh, left tackle and it was better. So I don't, I don't consider him in that mix there and it doesn't look like the team is either cause they're, he, he's not getting reps there. Um, it's, yeah, it's really a buoy and some undrafted guys, uh, at left tackle. And that's a scary combination. Uh, when you've got a guy like Dwayne Brown who's older and misses games uh, occasionally, and and right, and and that trend will probably only go up 
I mean, you got a guy like uh, Whitworth out there as as a tackle that's uh, you know into his forties now as a as a starting left tackle in the NFL, and then um, there's no there's no stat, uh, stats that point to Dwayne Brown being able to do the same thing. They're they're two individual players. You can't really mm-hmm. compare them. Dwayne Brown's obviously had a great uh, long run without a lot of injury history at all, but he had a couple things going on last year. He played in 793 snaps out of a possible around 1,100 snaps total. So he missed about 400 snaps, uh, 300 snaps, excuse me. Um, and he, he was great. I mean, he had two penalties out of that and one sack. Um, he did have a, a lower pro football focus grade of uh, 74.1 this last year when you factored in run blocking and pass blocking. He was um, dealing with a, with a really serious bicep injury. Yeah. Um, but still a left, top 20 left tackle in the NFL. Yeah. And dealing with a serious injury. Um, and so I'm not, he played through that, you know what I mean? And he and did still, play through that and still was decent. And so now he's healthy and I expect him to be back being Dwayne Brown and playing at a pro bowl level. Um, for a good chunk of the season, but I don't expect him to be the Dwayne Brown from a few years ago for 16 games. I hope that we get him at that level for eight and maybe four or five more at what we saw last year as he gets, you know, nicked up and whatever. Um, and then you're hoping that he's healthy. That and sounds ready for less the than promising. And what's what concerns me is just the lack of the of the backup. Last year, I know they went with Jones that first game because he had shown so well at at, at guard. It was kind of like he he'd earned it. But the guy that gave me um, peace of mind was the fact that George Fant was on the roster, and he came in and it's performed true. admirably and actually turned those couple of games that he played uh, at left tackle into a a uh, fairly lucrative contract. Um, yes, he did. And, and, and hats off to him. <clears throat> now the Jets fans are going crazy. They're like, what the what? Because, you know, George Fant. And they gave him $10 million and he's their presumptive, you know, starter at tackle. So we'll see what happens there, but good on him. Yeah. And, um, but I don't see, there, there's no, there's just not a guy like George Fant on the roster that gives me peace of mind. Um, yeah, that, but Brown that's only because we haven't seen now. Cedric Abuahi yet. We haven't seen him. We haven't we, heard enough haven't about him. him. We haven't seen him in a Seattle uniform, but we've seen him. He's not a guy that's just He's a up starter that, guy that started for the Titans for three years. I mean, this is not a schmuck guy. He just he got a, a couple of injuries this last couple of years. Kept him off, you know, any starting role at all, and was a kind of a backup that really didn't get any time. So he's still out there now. the The upside opportunity for him here is obvious, and the um, the things that are being said out of camp so far about Cedric Abuhi, specifically um, Coach Carroll, is that he's he looks the part. He's showing up. He's quick. He's active on his feet. He's getting the reps. Uh, for left tackle Dwayne Brown right now when they rest uh, Dwayne Brown. And it sounds like they're counting on him to be the guy. 
um, not not the guy, but the key swing tackle back up on the on the roster, which is interesting to me. I think if if that's the case and they feel like they don't need to go out and get another guy off a practice squad or whatever, um, I'm I'm okay with that. Um, I would caution you about taking all of Pete Carroll's praise at this time of year uh, at face value. Uh, because it's Pete, right? He loves everything. There is there is nothing that's ever happened on a football field that he's not excited and amped about. True, uh, but he does the, really only mention players without being prompted if they really do stand out to him. Um, another player that he has mentioned without being prompted that st- stood out to him was the right tackle Brandon Shell. And his comment was that there really hasn't been a thing about him that hasn't looked good. He's really consistent and he's physical enough to be dominant. Wow. Those were his words. Those are Pete Carroll's words on Brandon Shell. I did not see that quote. That's, that's pretty sweet. No, I, I saw that and I'm like, okay, good. That's, that means he's coming out and he's showing. Um, And I, I think that's great for him, but I, I take Pete Carroll's words during during sure, uh, training obviously. camp with a grain of salt because he's Pete Carroll. And it's not that he's lying. It's just that he's just naturally positive about everything. When was the last time he came out and was and really had something negative to say yeah, about I anything? Remember. Never. <laughs> <laughs> um and I love that about Pete. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not like this isn't like a thing where I'm like, oh, you know, whatever. Um it's just just because Pete is praising someone doesn't mean that we can just be like, oh, they're going to be great this year. Because um, he praises everyone at some point. Um, but if if Abuhi has looked as good as Pete says he has, and Shell has looked as good as Pete says he has, then we have no concern on the offensive line. Because the interior is set. It's solid. It's deep. We have no, we, right. Finney's, um, Finney's better than you were giving him credit for. Uh, Postic's probably better than I am giving him credit for. Jordan Simmons. You got to worry about health with Jordan Simmons, but he's a guy that can actually play. Yeah. I mean, Simmons is, is, um, a guy that most people don't remember him, but a couple of years ago, he ended up coming in as, as a starter for a few games and looked really good. And then he got hurt. Um, and so, what you know, you look at that. The Postix done that. He's done that. We got Hayes, who looked okay in uh, in the playoffs, but also has all the physical tools to be very good there. Damian Lewis, who's the rookie, who is basically he's uh, a younger, less injury prone. Um, DJ Fluker, you know, he, he's a guy that you just have to kind of pencil in because he's like the prototype for a right guard um, in the Mike Solari system here. The, the interior of the line, I mean, I know that these might be not names that are household names everywhere, but I, they're solid. There's some depth there. I didn't even mention Jamarco Jones, who's probably uh, the best guard in the group. Um, That's true. And How, Let me ask you this. And, so Chance Warmack was another name that initially was with us in the offseason, but opted out, COVID opted out. Mm-hmm. Um, I really I had, had an inkling of an idea that he might have, put himself into play for that left 
guard spot as well, along with Haynes, um, and and certainly a key backup. Um, and then he's off the roster, so that did lessen the the overall guard depth a little bit. Um, and then as far I, as I just didn't think he was going to make the I didn't think he was going to make the roster. Yeah, it depends uh, on where his head and heart was because he was he was coming in to try and basically revitalize a career because he was a first round pick who kind of flamed out and then had a bunch of injuries and then hasn't been in football and was just right. trying to get back yes, into the league. Right. And and then he got an option got an opportunity to opt out for one hundred and fifty thousand bucks. Right. Yeah. So rather than try and compete for that job, so where was his head? Exactly. It turned um, out. Now I'm not going to um, criticize anybody for opting out for COVID because no, not at all. But, but it, it does it, it does kind of make me wonder. Um, and I just I see all younger players with way more upside that I think you um, you're not taking a risk on. Uh, you know, keeping Phil Hayes on the roster, but I think you are taking a risk keeping Chance Wormack on the roster because he just hasn't even he was he was trying he was just trying to get back into the league, which tells you something. I I just I didn't have him on my my projected roster, and it would have been cool if he came in, showed up, showed why he was a first round pick, and they go, whoa, they got a starter for nothing. Um, and I think that's what the team thought is it, it this was a uh, no risk signing because there's no guaranteed money. There's no dead money to cut him or anything. Um, and the potential, since it was no, you know, there's no risk, is that he comes in and looks looks great, looks dominant. You throw him out there and you, you roll with it. Um, but I also think that the chances of him making the roster were low. And and so he, to me, he never really factored into my opinion of the uh, offensive line or its depth. And maybe that. Maybe that's on me and I should have, but I didn't. And so I don't, it doesn't change my opinion now that he's gone because he was never really there. Um, I like the interior line. I like the interior depth. I know there's going to be some missed blocks and some growing pains, whether it's Lewis or Hayes or, um, you know, any of the young guys, Simmons, um, you know, that end up as, as the starter, or even if it's Lupati, you're going to have some missed blocks and some penalties and that kind of stuff too. Uh, just being the veteran doesn't, you know, make it better. Uh, so you have, there. there's going to be some of that, but there, the depth is there. If somebody gets hurt, there's someone else ready to step in. You've got um, overall good talent that needs experience, it needs uh, seasoning, it needs, they need to pick one and get some continuity. Um but I like the interior line. I really do. The tackles, you know, I like Dwayne Brown, but I know he's getting older and gets has been banged up a little bit the last couple of years. I want to give Brendan Shell a chance because um, I think the talent is there. His footwork is way better than Effetti's was. Um, for him, it was a matter of, you know, could he generate some play strength in the running game? And, and we'll see uh, how that looks this year. Uh, you know, but behind the two of them. Yeah, let's talk you know, about the I, back, back, back end, the, the two other reserve got, guys. You've got Cedric Abuihi, who is going to be the swing guy. And then you've got a couple of guys that honestly, I mean, they were, they're just undrafted free agents. I just, well, Chad I, Wheeler's I been hanging around uh, a little bit um, in the, in the league. He's not a, he's not a rookie, right. but he's, he, he's hung around the league on practice squads. Correct. 
And then Tommy Champion's brand new to the team, Mississippi State, 6'5", 320. But he really only saw action in like eight, nine games his entire college career. I mean, this is a guy that's even was not a starter at the college level at Mississippi State. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to really take a look at that. They must really like his athletic profile and they just want yeah, to take a look a, at him. But He's a guy, he's a massive project. Um, but at the same time, I mean, what they might end up doing with him is uh, groom him to be the, in the George Fant role where he plays more tight end than tackle. Um, and if he makes the roster, I'm sure it will be with that in mind that, that he is going to be, uh, you know, way down on the depth chart as far as actually playing, uh, tackle, but useful at tight end as a, as a blocker in case that, but with Disley and Olsen on the roster this year, I, uh, I don't see the, the value there. So we'll see. I mean, I just really don't like the depth at tackle. I like the depth on the interior. I think that. Yeah. It wouldn't shock me if we pick somebody up. This is yeah, another, absolutely. you know, like I said, we talked about the defensive tackle situation. I think it's this, it's a similar situation on the offensive line as far as the depth. Just one mm-hmm. more guy that's got a little bit more upside than Wheeler and Champion and maybe a guy like, um, now I know everyone likes Jones and I do too, but, but Jamarco Jones has shown that he does have certain limitations and maybe they decide to go with the guy that's got a little bit more well-rounded game than Jones. I'm not sure. Because, I, I mean, there is a lot to like there. But he showed his athletic limitations there with um, mm-hmm. being able to, to get the kick step outside to protect speed rusher. Yeah. I mean, he's a guy that belongs on the right side if he's going to play tackle where he has protection. And he's small um, for that spot traditionally. Yep. Yep. And, uh, but he's a guy that's shown extremely well at guard. And I think his, his natural, like physical skill set actually projects as a guard. And it's interesting um, because typically under Solari, his guards are mammoth. You know, you're, you're looking at guys that are three thirty minimum and, um, and Jermarco Jones does not fit that bill. In fact, the team has Jermarco Jones listed below 300 pounds right now on the roster. Wow, I did not realize they had him listed that low. Because um, he's a, a guy whose play weight's like 305, 307. Um, and, you know, that's where he was last year. And he, in his first, the first start of his career, he got lined up against um, possibly the best defensive player in the league, in Aaron Donald. And... He didn't, I don't want to say he dominated Donald, but he held his own against um, Aaron Donald. And nobody does that. True. <laughs> nobody, nobody matches up against Donald and doesn't allow uh, Donald to dominate. Um, and Jones did a great job. And if you can hold your own against the best defensive uh, tackle in the NFL, I'm sorry. You're your starter material. And he did, he did that. He looked great there. Um, I was, uh, I was surprised that he didn't stay uh, as a starter, but they chose to, you know, bring Fluker back in and, and let him play and, and all of that. But um, he belongs inside. He can do the job. He's good in there. Uh, and I know that Solari wants big, massive guys who can push uh, those defensive tackles back and win those those battles on the interior. 
um, rather than, you know, guys that are middle of the road size and more mobile. I know that's more of an outside zone um, uh, makeup of, of for a guard than an inside zone, which is what the Seahawks run. But I was very pleasantly surprised and happy with the performance Jones had as an interior lineman last year. I, I would love to see the team leave him there and only use him at right tackle if they have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and just leave it at that. Uh, he plays, he's an interior guy and an emergency right tackle. Uh, I would keep him off the left side, uh, at all costs if they can. So I think that's it. I mean, do you have anything else you want to, want to cover today in, t- in today's show? Any other topics? Um, otherwise, yeah. What's coming up, uh, with, with camp in the next week or so? Yeah. I mean, we've got, um, Obviously, some some more practices. We got padded practices that we get to watch. There's not many of them, uh, the way that training camp set up this year, and so those are the ones where I think there's an actual scrimmage too coming up on the 25th, maybe from CenturyLink Field. And it's yeah, I was going to say it's it's on on CenturyLink Field. They're doing it there. There won't be fans, but it will be out there, um, you know, on the field turf, and they'll be uh, they'll run a scrimmage like they usually do a mock game uh, at that point. Uh, in a normal training camp, a non-COVID training camp, where you match up, um, you know, the number ones versus the number twos, uh, both offense and defense, and so you, they get a chance to do their thing and and all of that. And um, yeah, we're gonna get, gonna get a chance to see two of those this year because of the lack of preseason. But they're they're gonna be at CenturyLink. They're supposed to be streamed uh, live for us. Um, we'll see if the team adheres to that or if they decide to shut it down so that way they can run plays and not have it be scouting material for opponents. But at this point, I'd love to see it. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, a chance to see them get out and, and play in some, some live action uh, situations. Yeah. And Pete mentioned too, that they would do a little bit more contact this year um, towards the end of camp or after camp breaks before the, the regular season. So I don't know if we'll actually see that um, as far as what the, the, the filming portion of camp, usually the filmed portion of training camp when it's on uh, Seahawks.com is the first hour, which is generally warmups and run throughs and, and soft drills before they actually get mm-hmm. into anything at all. So uh, yeah, it's position drills, uh, uh, the most that we are, we would typically get on the feed is, is the seven on sevens. So no offensive and defensive line. Um, when they go to 11 on 11s, they shut it, they turn it off. Yes. Um, and if they go to 11 on 11s early in practice, for some reason, they, even if they're scheduled to be on for an hour, they shut it off. Um, and that's like the one thing they won't show us. Makes sense. So, which is always, which was always the, advantage of, of being able to go up whether you're sitting on the berm or, or on the sideline um and watch because you get to you get a lot of useful information yeah. from the 11 on 11 well and they've even instructed they, they've even instructed all their beat reporters to not re- be able to report anything after that hour as well so yeah, yeah. so it, they you know it is what it is and it's it's this way every year and we just have to kind of put up with it and then the games come and we forget about it. So um yep. yeah, there's nothing else for right now. So let's uh let's go through the week. We'll come back next week and we'll talk about whatever's going on. Uh and we'll come up with a main main topic, you know, at some point and and we'll uh we'll shoot that well, we'll around. See, we'll for, see what, what happens over the next week. So so 
Um, okay, so we are going to uh, come back next week, and we'll be uh, we'll be on again. And uh, we're glad to have you join us, and uh, look forward to um, to being back on the show with you, Keith. And so. Uh, follow Keith on Twitter at MyersNFL. I'm at NWC Hawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook on Twitter. SeahawksPlaybook.com has all of the shows where you can listen and subscribe. And uh, make sure if you don't go to the website, you're listening on your favorite podcast app and subscribe there as well so you don't miss anything when we uh, put it out each week. So until next time, Keith, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NW Seahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.